Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living, a program designed to educate and inspire listeners throughout Indian country. American Indian and Alaska Native Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he is here today to help you learn more about your health. Here is Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're recording another in a series of shows from the Convention Hall in Anchorage, Alaska, we are at an event that is being sponsored by the National Indian Health Board, and we've got folks from all over, literally all over Indian country who have been here. If you are a regular listener to the show, I don't need to tell you that because you've been hearing from folks from Alaska, from across the lower 48. We had a guest from Hawaii on one of our episodes. In front of me now is Dr. Linda Stanley. Linda, it's so good to have you with us. Thank you very much for having me. This is exactly the type of opportunity that we had hoped to find by attending this conference, just to get this information out. Wonderful. I am excited that we're able to do this show together, and I'm very excited because you represent an entity at Colorado State University, your group uh, called the Tri-Ethnic Center for Prevention Research there in Fort Collins, Colorado. A lot of folks here, they know that name. They've heard research that you and others have done. But for some of my listeners, they still may not be up to speed on you and your team. So tell us a little bit about what you folks do. Okay, great. The Traffic Center has been around for quite some time, probably about 40 years. I'd just like to say I have not been there that entire 40 years. I joined it about 20 years ago, and we uh, receive funding typically from National Institute of Health or the Center for Disease Control to do research and provide programming to underserved populations. So in the past, um, we have focused on many different types of populations, rural, Native American, uh, Hispanic, um, Black American. So, and, and at times we are gathering data about these, um, populations and providing it to entities out there that need this data mm -hmm. and back to those populations that we're serving. And, and sometimes we are doing prevention programming out in these communities. But lately, um, we are focusing totally on uh, Native American health and specifically adolescents' uh, substance use and the causes of substance use um, and looking at also strength, protective factors, and resilience factors that might affect that. This is really just amazing stuff, and I know there's so much attention being focused on substance use issues across the demographic spectrum. Mm -hmm. When we talk especially about Native youth and Native adolescents, I know one of the issues that I hear people talking about at the tribal level is they often don't have the data. So they're aware there's a problem, but if you want to talk to a funding agency, they don't have data to quantitate how great the problem might be in their particular tribe or in their particular region. Is that one of the things that tribes are working with you to try to obtain? Yes, absolutely. That's really the portion of our work that we love to do um, because we don't want to be one of those entities that goes in and surveys a school, for example, and just takes that data and uses it for publishing or for just giving it to the federal government. What we try to do is work with schools 
so that we can survey their students and then give them a detailed school report about what substance use rates are, but also about what their kids say that they're doing in school, how they feel mentally. For example, are, are they have symptoms of depression, anxiety, mm-hmm. and we give them a, a report after the, that we are done um, surveying the students. We also offer to come and present the report or any data that they would like us to present to parents, to principals, to the school board, to the mm-hmm. community. We haven't had a lot of takers on that, but I think some of that comes from having the COVID crisis. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's been more difficult to do recently. But that's one of the reasons we came to the National Indian Health Board conference is so that we could try to disseminate this information wider. And we do find that the principals and the school staff, it's oftentimes the counselors at the school. They really like this data Mm -hmm. because they can apply for funding for specific prevention programs, for positive youth development programs. Um. And it just gives them a basis by which to make a case. And we know that that's very important for funders. So that's the, that's the best part of our job right there. Well, and that's spoken like a true scientist. You know, other folks would say, boy, that sounds really boring. <laughs> but, uh, you are also involved with programming, right? So prevention programming. Also, do you do some with treatment programming or not? Our center does not. Some of the people that we work with at CSU do quite a bit with treatment, but I, I don't know a lot about that, so I better not speak about it. <laughs> no, we won't. We won't wander there. But, but what about in the prevention realm? What kind yeah. of things are you working with there? Well, we um, recently, well, I say recently, ten years now feels recent to me. But um, we had a program called Be Under Your Own Influence, that was a uh, very much a positive focus prevention program where we had high school students that went in into the middle schools and talked about their aspirations, talked about not using drugs and alcohol, and about how they wanted to be under their own influence, mm-hmm. basically. And they had posters. They had posters of themselves on the walls, which was really neat. That the, And the middle school kids loved those. Uh-huh. Middle school kids actually wanted the high schoolers to autograph those. Did they really? And so that was really fun to see. And they just presented this positive role model that wasn't parents, it wasn't us adults going in, it was the high school students that they already look up to. That's great. And we were testing it. Does Mm -hmm. this work or does this not work? So we had several communities that did the program, and then we had several communities that were what we call control communities. And we said, we will give you the program when we're all done with mm-hmm, this. We mm-hmm. won't just leave you high and dry. Right. COVID kind of got in the way of things, uh, mm-hmm. but we did find some positive results. Some okay. later initiation of alcohol use, for example, by the younger kids. But we weren't able to do it as well as we would like because of some of the issues of COVID. Right, right. So I know a lot of times when we're developing programs, we first just want to try the program out, see how it's accepted. I'm hearing that part of the program. I mean, that was great, right? Yeah. Yes. And, you know, being at this conference, so we had quite a few things left because we didn't get to give them all out. A lot of, you know, pencils with Mm -hmm. Be Under Your Own Influence and bracelets, posters, T-shirts. And the reaction from people here at the conference was really something 
they were much more interested in that part of our booth than in the part with all the data, uh-huh, <laughs> you uh-huh. know, as you might expect. Um, but they loved that phrase, be under your own influence. Uh-huh. And we had a poster out. They loved that poster. And so we got to thinking, okay, well, we need to get out there and do some more of this. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it got us excited. Great, great. And like you said, I mean, one of the things that we're always pleased with is when it's accepted by our target population. You know, the kids love the program. Yeah. But being a researcher, you're asking the question, well, does this make any difference? Yep. And I understand why that would be difficult to capture that data when there's so many confounding variables with all the changes, everything going on with COVID and, you know, different environments. And how do you, you know, what are you really comparing? I mean, this isn't the normal school world that we're used to. So if it works in this environment, is it going to work when things go, quote, back to normal? So I realize all those challenges, but it sounds like a tremendous program, a tremendous concept. Let's talk a little bit about resilience. I know we hear a lot about that. Some people feel the term was overused as we went through that pandemic and, you know, talking about resilience was sometimes people said, you know, an excuse for uh, people in leadership positions not to do more for either their employees or whatever group they were Mm -hmm. serving. But really, there's a, a body of literature that suggests that if we really focus on these resiliency factors, we can make some differences. Can you give us uh, some insights through the eyes of a researcher as to why this is even important to discuss? Yeah, I don't think it's overused. (laughs) So the one thing that you find in Native communities, and, and I've gone out, I am not Native, but I have gone out into Native communities quite a bit, you find great resilience. Um, If you look at the, of course, the historical trauma, mm. the number of adverse experiences that in these communities, people have shown great resilience. And a lot of that comes from their culture. A lot of it comes from, you know, the family and the connections they have that we don't necessarily see it in our white communities, if mm-hmm. I may just say that. And so we became very interested in looking at resilience. And in fact, I wish my colleague Megan were here because she just wrote a paper about this, this looking at the data about the kids that did well during COVID. And some of that was they actually, their substance use fell quite a bit. Really? And she found some interesting, I mean, it may not be interesting in terms of, yeah, that's what you would expect. But of course, one of those variables was adverse life experiences mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and adverse childhood experiences. Mm-hmm. And she found that kids who had a high level of cultural identity and that really had took pride, there was a lot of pride in their culture, mm-hmm. they showed that was a, a mitigating piece. So they showed that the more adverse childhood experiences, how can I say this, that adverse childhood experiences may not have as great an effect if you had a high cultural identity, if you had a high pride in uh, your ethnic culture, those sorts of things. And so there was definitely a group of kids that were very resilient um, during COVID. Some of it had to also do with the family connections. Mm-hmm. So feeling closer to their families, having more ties to their families during that time. Huge, uh, huge factor. So 
positive factors can make a big difference. There's also risk factors, of course. Yeah. And I know uh, as we're doing this show together, hopefully we can pull some of your colleagues in, one or more, during the interview. I know some are kind of running between sessions and things here yeah. at this venue. But but let's talk about some of the risk factors then for uh, adolescent substance abuse and whether you want to confine this to Indian country or, or speak more broadly to it because, I mean, a lot of these factors are mm-hmm. pervasive, right? Yes, absolutely. That's one of the things that you find is that many of the things that you find that are affecting one group of kids affect another group mm-hmm. of kids. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the trends will be the same. If you find a trend that, for example, cannabis use is increasing in the national population, you'll find that typically among other subpopulations, you know, whether it be native or other groups. Um, and that's because, yes, there are risk factors. So risk factors like the adverse childhood experiences, the more adverse childhood experiences you have, the more likely you are to use substances. So we have had shows where we've talked about the ACEs, the adverse childhood experiences, but I'm always sensitive to folks who may be listening for the first time. Just give us kind of a ballpark view. You don't have to walk through the whole list, but but what are we talking about specifically? Yeah, I mean, if your parents were divorced, Mm -hmm. if you had a parent that died or that's no longer in the home for some other reason, if you have a friend that was killed or a friend that committed suicide. And these things tend to happen more in Native communities um, because of the historical trauma, boarding schools, all sorts of reasons Mm -hmm. why we might be seeing more adverse childhood experiences in those communities. But it can be something as what we think of just a regular, something that happens to every teen. You know, you just broke up with your girlfriend. And if that was a very traumatic experience for you, that actually can have a large effect. It can be an adverse childhood experience. It's not necessarily childhood, but something happening during your adolescence. So it can go to a, something that's fairly major in in a child's or in an adolescent's life to something that we might think of as just, you know, that happens to everybody. Well, I know you've got a, a wealth of information, and I'm looking forward to hearing more from you. I'm speaking with Dr. Linda Stanley from Colorado State University here in Anchorage, Alaska. We do have to step away just briefly. I'm Dr. DeRose. You're listening to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. More coming up right after these important messages. Stay tuned. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at A-I-A-N-L dot O-R-G. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, A-I-A-N-L dot org. Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid. But there is hope. Reach out to someone. Connect with your friends. Stay in touch with your community. And know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. 
When Jim died, I wondered if I would be able to keep the farm. Then I heard about the USDA's loan program for socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers. It's for women and minorities who may be having trouble getting credit. Once I was approved, the USDA's Farm Service Agency helped me get the credit I needed. Now I don't have to sell, and I can pass the farm down to my kids the way Jim's dad passed it down to him. I know he'd like that. Contact your local USDA Service Center or visit www.fsa.usda.gov. Social Security is with you through life's journey from birth to retirement. As your life changes year to year, so do your needs. For over 80 years, Social Security has helped to meet your needs and is committed to improving access to the services that make a difference in your life. Today, you can verify your earnings, estimate your future benefits, apply for retirement, manage your benefits, and even change your address all from the comfort of your home. Social Security's online services help put you in control with secure access to your information anytime, anywhere, allowing you to spend more time with family, friends, or simply just enjoying the day. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We continue this show from the venue of the Convention Center in Anchorage, Alaska, we are with folks who have come to this uh, National Indian Health Board-sponsored event. It's been great uh, rubbing shoulders with a variety of folks, and I've enjoyed having, well, sitting across from me right now, Linda Stanley, Dr. Linda Stanley from Colorado State University. Linda, you have, um, during the break, been able to corral one of your uh, co-scientists, co-researchers. Tell me who now is sitting next to you. Okay, well, I am very happy to introduce Megan Crabtree, Dr. Megan Crabtree, who is a research scientist at the Triethnic Center, and she joined us about five years ago from University of Texas at San Antonio, and she has become involved in the research that we do and has become a very, um, I would call her, very compassionate mm. researcher who has really become passionate about research with Native American youth. Wonderful, wonderful. That's exciting. It's always great to have a team. And one of the things that I sometimes get asked by young people, you know, they're thinking about careers, often in Indian country, they're talking about, well, what can I do to give back? And they see people like yourselves and they say, oh, this is really making a difference. And they sometimes wonder, well, what's the trajectory? How does someone get in a position like the two of you are in? Maybe I'll start with you, Linda. How did you end up as a senior research scientist doing Native American research? Well, I hope you have about an hour and a half here. Okay. <laughs> well, well, how about if you give us the short story? Okay, I'll give you. If it's really compelling, we'll cut you a lot of slack, though. <laughs> well, I don't think it's that compelling. I actually have a Ph.D. in economics. Wow. And specifically in environmental economics. And um, 
I have always been passionate about having a purpose in life and, and about the environment. And I loved my first economics class. So I went ahead with economics and I, I became a professor. And one day I just realized I wasn't enjoying the economics anymore and I wanted to go do something else. Hmm. And I gave up my tenure. I, quit my job. I went wow. to Borneo to be with orangutans for a while. No way. Really? Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. How was it? Um, it was, it was very cool, but I, uh, there was a lot of, uh, dry land leeches. And so oh you might look down and have a little leech on you and huh. that I found uncomfortable. <laughs> so, uh-huh. Uh-huh. so I came back home again. Okay. Fair enough. And then I happened to know some folks at the triathlon center and I just thought maybe I could contribute. So I went and talked to him and said, you know, here's what I can do. And would you be willing to take me on? And they did. Wow. And here I am. Wow, that's amazing. How long ago was that? That was in 2002. So it's been 21 years. Wow, tremendous. 21 quick years. Well, you know, 2002, you may not know this, is the year we started doing American Indian and Alaska Native Living Radio. How about that? We've gone through several iterations of names, but we've been in this uh, in this sphere about the same length of time. So that's great to have you contributing in this way, Linda. Megan, what about you? You're more recently a member of the team. How did that come about? Well, I don't know how to follow that story, to be honest. Um, but I got my yes, I got my doctorate at UTSA. Um, I have been in and out of prevention science, actually. Since I was 19 years old, I've been doing um, research with adolescents, substance use prevention research. Actually, I did um, healthy relationships research. And then for my doctorate, I took a really strong pivot to theory, and I was really interested in identity and how identity Mm. kind of guides our lives and guides how we get meaning in life and how we understand our purpose. And so I actually did my dissertation about that, um, broadly speaking. And I was looking for a postdoc, and the Triethnic Center was uh, one of the job searches I did, and I found it, and I thought, wow, this is really interesting, because they were also looking at cultural identity, and they wanted to sort of pivot to a more strength-based focus rather than just, you know, risk factors of Mm -hmm. substance use. And I just sort of thought, this actually might be an amazing fit. You know, Mm -hmm. it is a good pipeline to the next to the next part of my life. And I've just become really passionate about this work. Um, I, you know, like I said, actually, before we were on, it was a very roundabout way to go, but uh, actually like Linda, I can think about it. Mm-hmm. But, um, but similarly, I just, I've become really passionate over time. I, I feel like I've sort of dived into this research, but I'm still so new and I'm still learning so much. And honestly, being here has been incredibly inspirational. So Wonderful, yeah. wonderful. Well, I've gathered that probably has gone both ways. You know, I've heard from Linda folks that have been coming by your booth and interfacing with you and getting excited about some of the stuff you've been doing. And we were talking both about risk factors. We we're talking about some of the adverse childhood experiences and then also some of the uh, strength-based things you've been looking at. Linda, lead us back into that because you were talking about your group off-air, it's a little bit on-air, but mostly off-air, about some of the observations your team made in light of COVID and substance use. Yeah. Um, well, 
as you know, COVID had a big effect on the reservations, and we were not able to do some of our research during that time period and go out and help schools. But once, you know, the spring of 2021 came along, we went back out to survey schools to ask for voluntary participation in the survey and uh, to just ask both our regular questions and also questions related to COVID. How did these kids experience it? Did they get COVID themselves? Did they have relatives who were hospitalized? Did they have family members who might have died from COVID? So we actually asked some of the questions just about COVID and then also about their mental health during COVID. So did they feel more sad? Did they feel more anxious? And we asked them about how their substance use changed. Mm -hmm. So did you use more drugs, less drugs, and so on? And how much did they use? We found some really interesting results. I want to say it right now before I talk about those results that we don't yet know what to make of them. Okay, we still need enough. to look into these more. But um, if you look at, for example, alcohol and cannabis use, the rates of use dropped significantly. So we published a paper in one of the JAMA journals, one of the medical journals in 2016 with substance use rates for this population for 8th, 10th, and 12th graders. And we compared those to the national rates for 8th, mm -hmm. 10th, and 12th graders. And overall, we found, you know, that substance use rates for these youth were quite a bit higher than national rates and significantly for marijuana use. Can you give us some idea of percentages? Yeah, I'm going to take a peek at my notes here. That's fine. That's perfectly and, acceptable. Okay. In 2016, I, I, I want to give one example with mm -hmm. cannabis. In 2016, we found that um, for eighth graders, 40, around 44% of kids in eighth grade had ever tried wow. cannabis. And this was for this, the reservation area, American Indian adolescents. Mm -hmm. Nationally, that was about half of that, around 22% okay, okay. of kids had used ever. So this is pre-COVID. So this is pre-COVID. But it's have they ever tried. So that's not going to change. Yeah. I mean, at least in that yeah. segment of the population. Yes. Yeah. And, 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 uh, 30 day use mm -hmm. was pretty high. So that's, have you used in the last 30 right, days? Right, right. And again, for eighth graders, it was about 23%, which is a, a fairly large amount. Mm -hmm. And how would that compare to the reference population? And, and, you know, I was just looking at my notes here, and I actually made a mistake. So the the 44% for lifetime, that was in 2016, and the 22% was actually the new rate after COVID. Oh, so the rate so dropped was, in half. It, the rate dropped in half. Yes. And so, you know, I don't have the national figures with me right now, but I would say that the cannabis use rates tend to be significantly higher on reservation mm -hmm. for reservation area kids than they do nationally. And they can be, you know, 50 to 100 percent higher depending upon the use, the, the measure that we're looking at. Is it most recent use? Is it lifetime use? And what grade we're looking at? Um, kids on reservation or around reservations tend to initiate earlier. Wow. 
So anyway, we got those much lower rates. Yeah, we saw these yeah. Much lower rates after COVID. And when we were speaking earlier, Megan, Doctor Stanley and I were saying that, at least from Linda's perspective, she thought some of this may have to do with some of these very factors that you were talking about: identity, you know, cultural connectedness. Mm-hmm. Tell us, have you had a chance to look into this at all, or why would you postulate this, or what data do you have? Yeah, so we published a study earlier this year, and we were looking at how different adolescents basically were able to have resilience or risk after COVID-19. And we found that the resilient kids and the risky kids actually looked very much the same. Really? And the ones that were risky just experienced more stressful life experiences during COVID-19. We want to dive into this more mm-hmm. because this is fascinating. We do have to step away just briefly. So I'm going to be back with, with my two doctors here, Dr. Crabtree and Dr. Stanley. You stay by as well. Some fascinating practical things that can make a difference for those that you love. I'm Dr. DeRose. Stay tuned. American Indian and Alaska Native Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, Please contact us on the web at AIANL.org or call 1 800 775 HOPE. That's 1 800 775 4673. A message from the National Police Association. It used to be that any able bodied person would offer to assist a police officer in danger. Now, passers by are more likely to take a video. There's a better use for your phone when an officer's in trouble. Call 911. Tell the operator where you are and what you see. Then start your video to provide evidence later. To learn more about how you can assist law enforcement, visit nationalpolice.org. That's nationalpolice.org. Unlike other health concerns, mental illness is not always easy to see. Depression won't show up on an eye chart. And you can't measure it on your bathroom scale. Sorting out a mental health concern is not something to attempt on your own. You won't find a bipolar disorder by looking at a thermometer. Like many other health conditions, help for mental illness takes professional diagnosis and treatment. Anxiety won't just go away under a stick-on bandage. So the sooner you seek treatment, the better. If you or a loved one has a mental health concern, Don't go it alone. Find out what to do. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral, call 1-800-662-HELP. Learn more at samhsa.gov slash support. That's S-A-M-H-S-A dot gov slash support. Using meth taught me everything about freedom, only not like you think. It taught me how easy it is to lose your freedom. If you think meth is taking control of you, ask for help. You have the power to be truly free. I know. I'm Jan, and I'm free from meth. If you or someone you know is struggling with meth, call 1-800-662-HELP for 24-hour free and confidential treatment referral. Learn more at samhsa.gov slash meth. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. 
Welcome back to the second half of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose, and if you're appreciating the uh, ambient noises, we are in an exhibit hall in Anchorage, Alaska, if you didn't pick up on that already. And I'm talking with some researchers from the Tri-Ethnic Center for Prevention Research. If you've been with us from the beginning of the hour, you are not surprised by that because we've mentioned their affiliation more than once already. If you don't know anything about that, they are with Colorado State University in Fort Collins, Colorado. We were speaking about some amazing data coming out of COVID. I don't deal a lot with mental health. I'm a clinician. I do see patients with mental health issues. I don't deal with adolescents at all. I'm an internal medicine specialist. So in listening to this topic, I'm thinking, well, COVID, substance abuse, it's going to skyrocket. So this is not intuitive to me. You ladies have been kind of drilling down in the data as much as you've been able to at this point. And uh, Megan, you actually have your doctorate Mm -hmm. in a discipline that, uh, I'll just be honest with you, I don't know how many of my listeners have met someone who's got a doctorate in applied social psychology. Mm -hmm. Have I got that right? Mm -hmm. That's what your emphasis was. Yes. Mm -hmm. So what is that all about? I'm asking you the question because we want to get to the answer, but your background really is designed to look at questions like this. Yes. Uh, so my background, it's a very broad scope, actually, but the essential kind of idea behind applied social psychology is taking s- social psychological factors and applying them in the real world. So social psychology has kind of always worked with sort of like um, not super real life things. Like, for example, um, how do people respond to respond to um, weird exposures in the environment. And applied social psychology instead takes that and looks at how do people respond to things that actually happen in their day-to-day life. Mm. And so, again, it's very broad, but that's what we do. We want to take what we've learned with social psychology and really apply it so that it can help people in the moment instead of theoretically. Well, I love your story Mm -hmm. because... You know, Linda and, and her team embraced you five years ago, not knowing that there's going to be a real life experiment mm-hmm. that was going mm-hmm. to challenge people and they would need someone who's got a background in applied social psychology, <laughs> right, on the team. So what have you found from your perspective in looking at these native youth mm-hmm. that are doing just amazing things in some of the most stressful situations that people could imagine? Absolutely. So one of the things that stood out to me in um, one of our studies is just how much uh, cultural identity was involved in resilience and how these kids expressed their resilience. They showed extremely high levels of connection to their cultural identity, their awareness of achievement Mm. in their communities. And also they showed really high levels of community mindedness. So they were worried about how their communities were doing, not just, you know, their Mm. families or their friends, but the elders in their communities, um, their aunts and uncles, their extended family, um, but also just individuals on the reservation. And they were concerned about their health, their well-being. And although you would think that you know, this would kind of inspire anxiety. Mm-hmm. In reality, it was associated with resilience in these youth. And mm. we think it's because, honestly, they had probably more time and more space to think about these things and really, you know, recognize the things that are important in their life and that bring them joy. And I think school sometimes takes up a lot of space in, mm-hmm. in all kids' minds. And I think in this case, they, you know, they had the opportunity again to 
to really kind of work through that and, and see what's important in their lives and, and that their communities and their culture are really helpful to them. So one of the things that as you're describing this to me, and either one of you can chime in to the question, answer it, but I wonder if you're really engaged with your community, you're concerned about your elders, did this inspire these youth to be more motivated to do self-care behaviors? Were they thinking, I've got to take care of myself, either to be a caregiver or not to get sick? Did, mm-hmm. did that seem to filter out in any of the data that you collected? Yeah, absolutely. So they uh, reported actually engaging in more traditional activities. Hmm. They also reported being very mindful of how they cope. But also, I think in one study, we actually found that they had higher levels of hand washing and and vaccination and approval of vaccination Hmm. um, than the national sample, much higher. So, yeah, they were engaging in more behaviors that were, were healthy behaviors and preventative behaviors than the national population. Absolutely. That is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a lot of folks who didn't have the Triethnic Center on their radar screen mm-hmm. prior to National Indian Health Board. There's a lot of folks that are listening today that we're hearing about you for the first time, they say. They may be sitting with someone in a car saying, wow, this sounds like these researchers are doing some great things. How does someone connect with you? Is there a way to interact with you to say, hey, could you help us with a project? How does that work? They could go to our website, which is TEC, which stands for Triethnic Center, tec.colostate.edu. And there they can find information about our studies. They can also find contact information for Megan and I. We would love to hear from folks. So let me see if I've got this right. So I've got TEC, and you already reminded us that stands for Triethnic Center, dot, TEC dot, then Colo State, C-O-L-O. That's right. And then State, Colo State, like Colorado State. Yep. They took off that back part of the Colorado. Okay. So TEC <laughs> dot C-O-L-O, Colo State dot E-D-U. Yep. And that will take them right to your center's homepage. Yep. That will. And then we have information on that website that talks about the study of, on substance use. Mm-hmm. And that study is called Our Youth, Our Future. Our so, Youth, Our Future? Our Youth, Our Future. Okay. So if they see that on the website, they can find out more about that. We're actually hopefully redoing our website to make it even easier to find Good. this information. And then we have some other information about the type of our publications, like, mm-hmm. for example, what Megan has been talking about, Excellent. and we have information about our staff. So what can someone who's, let's say, in tribal health leadership, maybe they sit on tribal council, they're listening to what you ladies have done in some parts of Indian country, and they're saying, well, would you do this in the southeast? Would you do it in the northwest? I mean, do you work nationally? We do work nationally. The one study where we're measuring substance use rates amongst these adolescents, we actually take a random sample of schools from all over the country that meet the criteria of being on or near a reservation. Mm -hmm. And we ask schools to participate in that survey. And, and, you know, it's, it's tough to ask schools to participate in a survey because they have a lot of other responsibilities, right, a lot right. of other things that are going on at their school. But 
by providing a school report and by paying the schools, we hope that we get more participation. There are some times when um, if a school contacts us, we can survey them because we need schools from that area of the country. Mm-hmm. So if there's any educators out there, principals of schools, school staff, especially counselors, who would like to get this information so that they can, for example, seek funding for prevention programs, they can go to our website and contact one of us, and we'll see if we can get them into this. Tremendous. What about some of the other things that your team is involved with, other things where a tribal leader or even a layperson may want to jump on your website or may want to reach out to one of you folks or one of your team members? Well, again, we welcome folks reaching out to us, and they can email me, for example, um, linda.stanley at colostate.edu regular spelling of both Linda and Stanley. And I'll put them in touch with the right person or try to help out in terms of our data. We actually, for others, for some folks want to look at our data, there's researchers out there, and we actually have a public data set. But it's just to let the listeners know that we keep everything confidential. Mm-hmm. There are never names of tribes. There's never names of schools. Mm-hmm. The only thing that we identify is a region. But we can also lead them to the right place to get access to that information. Right now, we're a very small staff. Okay. And our main focus is working on supplying these school reports and getting this information out about what are the substance use rates And then how are they related to these other factors of risk and protective factors of students so that hopefully schools can take some actionable steps based upon that data. I love the emphasis on, you know, strength-based approaches. And one of the things that's interested me is we've heard so much about post-traumatic stress disorder and all the ravages that can come with these severe exposures, but there's a lot more being talked about in terms of post-traumatic growth. And just having gone through a pandemic, I'm just kind of interested, Megan, you know, from your perspective as an applied social psychologist, as you hear some of this terminology and look at where we've been, kind of the population you're working with, can you speak to that at all? Yes. So I think that kind of based on what we're seeing, there are many kids, I'd say the the majority of kids who are experiencing growth after this extreme adversity. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're finding ways to cope that are very, very positive. They're, I think, experiencing um, sort of new pathways to different opportunities within their communities to really um, get involved, participate. And so, yes, I think part of post-traumatic growth in these communities is really becoming more involved and um, more connected to their cultural identities and and also their families. And so, yes, I think we are seeing that. I think that these kids are showing much more resilience than risk after COVID-19, which is great. From your perspectives, do you seem to think that young people that you've been working with from Indigenous communities tend to have often tighter social connections, even though they may have had greater adverse childhood experiences? That's an interesting question. Um, Definitely from just by going 
you know, meeting these 10th graders that were participating in our be under your in, be under your own influence campaign. The connections were, oh, I'm not quite sure to how to put this, but I see a spider web hmm. in my head to describe those because everybody had many aunts and uncles. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, I had four aunts and four uncles, you know, and, and that was it. And they were relatives, you know, they were my dad's sisters and so uh-huh. on. But, you know, what these kids would talk about and what these kids would talk about my grandma, you know, and so I would run into this person. For example, one was a superintendent of a school and uh-huh. I would say, oh, I hear you're the grandma to Maria. And she'd say, Maria. And kind of think about it. And she'd go, Oh, yes. And I'd realize, okay, that's a different way. That's a different way of looking at it than we look at mm-hmm. it. And these, I felt like these kids had these incredible networks that I missed out on. I did not have these. Wow. This is amazing stuff. And I know we've got a final segment, some great material you've still got yet that you've been keeping off to the side before we finish the show. So we're going to step away just briefly. Again, if you're trying to connect uh, with the team at the uh, Tri-Ethnic uh, Center, tec.colostate, C-O-L-O-state.edu. We'll be back with more from our two doctors, Dr. Stanley and Dr. Crabtree, right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov slash plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov slash plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. I'm just texting him back. I'm just posting a story. I'm just changing the song. I'm just... No. When it comes to distracted driving, just don't. Sending a text takes your eyes off the road for just five seconds, but in that time, your car can travel the length of an entire football field. Any distracted driving just isn't worth it. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. What is a number story? My number story started with fear and a lack of support, and it has led me to be there for others. A number story begins in our childhood with ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. My number story begins with the separation from my father and the emotional abandonment from my mother and leads to me being a role model to not only myself, but those around me by becoming the person that wasn't there for me. ACEs are so common, two-thirds of us have one. My number story begins with drug abuse and homelessness and leads to realizing that I can live life by my own standards. A study found the more ACEs, the more likely we may experience a host of serious health effects, physical and mental, but that doesn't need to be the case. Your ACE number is simply an entry point to your own story. Where it leads is up to you. My number story begins with years of emotional abuse and leads to peace, clarity, and security in my self-worth. Take control of where your number story leads at numberstory.org. 
You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to the final segment of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. In the studio, virtual studio in the exhibit hall with me, Dr. Linda Stanley and Dr. Megan Crabtree. We sure appreciate you ladies pulling away from all the exciting stuff happening at uh, this National Indian Health Board sponsored event. And maybe we should just start right there because uh, a lot of folks may be listening. They've heard programs that we've done either with National Congress of American Indian sponsored events or uh, National Indian Health Board events, and they may never have been to such a, an event Maybe I'll start with you, uh, Linda. Why should someone, if they're in tribal leadership, uh, if they're a tribal health care provider, why should they put something like this on their calendar? It is the place to be. <laughs> I mean, it really is the place to be. I am amazed at the number of connections that I have made at this conference. I did not know what to expect. Mm. So, you know, we brought our results up and we really, we have handouts. We also have swag. We have chapstick okay. that we're giving away. And, you know, and I thought, well, people are just going to want to, you know, pick up the chapstick probably. They don't want to hear from us. And I found that that wasn't the case at all. Mm. Megan and I felt so energized by the end of yesterday uh-huh. because we had made so many connections and just talked about people somebody told me indian country is very small really when you talk about the number of people out there and the connections that are between people and i think we found that to be the case um i met somebody you know yesterday that knew my husband from something else and it's like wait a second how does this happen but anyway we've had a lot of interest in our work we have a booth here at the conference, and we've had a lot of interest in our work and a lot of good ideas that have come across the way. So that's been very, very energizing. And I think Megan has had some really great experiences learning things from the sessions. I've manned the booth the whole time, but she's attended sessions, so she can probably talk a little bit more about that. Good. We definitely want to go there. But you brought something to my attention that I'd forgotten. I had a guest here earlier. And one of the things they told me off air was they were raving about a booth where they were giving out this awesome lip balm or whatever you, you're getting. I, I didn't connect all the dots, but now <laughs> now that I realize it was Colorado State. It, it was. And it was one of our colleagues that picked out that particular lip balm. And I would just like to say there are no animal products in that lip well, balm Well, that was one either. of the things they shared with me, and they were really excited about this. So... So you guys went the extra mile with the swag that you brought. So that gave some uh, extra word of mouth. So now, granted, I've been like you, Linda. I've been pretty much tied here to the booth. But I think my wife did get some of your products, and I'm I'm looking forward to trying it out, okay? Good. So let's come back to you now, Dr. Crabtree. Megan, you were telling us off air that you just got back from an amazing session Mm -hmm. about data sovereignty. Tell us what that concept is and, and what you took away. Yes. So it was um, talking about data equity. It was a um, tribal epidemiological center. And one of the things that I took away from this was how important it is to make sure that tribes are getting access to data, to information about their communities, about their kids. And I think that this conference really kind of 
brought home to me how much harder we need to work to make sure that these communities have this data and it is available to them. And not only that, but also ways of using it, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. They need to know and they need to have the resources to use the data. And that is something that I'm bringing home with me, you yeah. know, that I think we really need to prioritize that. And not just us, you know, all everyone who's collecting data in, in Indian country needs to do that. Yeah. And if I may just interject, yeah. one of the things I want to say uh, about our data is that if a tribe asks for the data, and by that I mean not just a report, but the actual data that you have on a computer and that you mm -hmm. can look at, for example, summary statistics of that data, that is something that we will give to them. Wow. And yes. um, I know, you know, for a couple of reservations um, in the Southwest, they use that data, right? They they actually, they want it because they want to look at more things than what we're looking at. And mm -hmm. the data is richer mm -hmm. than the school report that, that um, we give them. We always, if there is a tribal IRB, an institutional review board, we go through that in mm -hmm. order to get permission to do our survey. And so that's oftentimes a condition that we mm -hmm. give that data back to the tribe. Excellent, excellent. Now, in order to get data... You have to collect the data. You have to go through all the hurdles you need to. But you also have to have schools, right, that are cooperating with you. Mm -hmm. How does that process work? And would you like to let my listeners know whether they might be able to help you or help get that information for their tribes? How does that work? Yeah, that's thank you for asking that. Um, so every year we recruit schools, and we actually have a list of all of the schools that we know of and that's out there. We've looked, you know, at the BIE and made sure that we have all the BIE schools and the public schools that are on reservation. And we have a list of all those schools in different regions and we randomly sample those schools. And our, the, the goal is to get a nationally representative sample of schools from across the country that are on or close to reservations that serve reservation kids. And so once we do that, we send out a letter of recruitment and we let them know that we'll give a, a school report to them. We'll go through any approval processes that they have. We will send letters to the parents, letting them know and letting them be able to opt out their kids. And we pay them. Don't know if I brought that up, but we pay to, mm -hmm. you know, in case, you know, it takes... It takes effort to mm -hmm. do this. So we want to acknowledge that. And then we start bothering schools. Okay. <laughs> you know, we okay. email the schools and we call them and we ask them for participation. Now, a lot of these schools are already asked by many mm -hmm. entities out there to do surveys, to do different types of projects in the school. So we can have difficulty getting enough schools to participate. I think once schools participate, they see that they get something out of this mm -hmm. that, that is useful to them, and so we're much more likely to get them to return. But we start that process this year. We're actually starting it early um, in May, and I guess it is May. I just realized it is May, it's so we're true. starting it's it true. this month, and then we will continue on until we get enough schools to participate. Now, I'm trying to wrap my mind around the logistics. So it's it's a randomized process. So if a school this year said, oh, this was wonderful, we enjoyed the report, we were glad to get this extra income, come back next year, it doesn't quite work like that. Is that right? Well, actually, they can participate two years in a row. I got so it. So that's, 
yes, they could. But if it was their second year and they said, can we participate a third year, we would probably ask them to wait for a couple of years. Okay. Just to make sure that we're getting other schools. Uh-huh, getting in a the representative process. sample. It, you know, it, it takes, it takes resources. It takes money because we're paying this, the schools to do this. And mm-hmm. we wish that, you know, we could, survey every school that would be awesome so you don't have the unlimited budget yet we don't have the unlimited okay. budget yet but megan's working on that okay good. <laughs> yeah, we're glad you're doing something oh, in, your, yeah. in your spare time as well oh yeah absolutely so let me ask this very pertinent question then a school administrator maybe it's a principal listening to this show right now and they say hey uh, you know most of my students are native yeah. I've never heard about this. How come no one's called me? We just haven't been, you know, randomly selected. Yes. Can they get on the phone and say, are we on your list or what's the process? Actually, they could get on the phone to give us a call. And I'm actually going to give some more information out here if you don't mind. No, no, we'll take it. So our phone number is 970-491-3895. And one, if you know, we can look and see if they're on the list. And two, we oftentimes don't get enough participation since COVID mm-hmm, occurred. Mm-hmm. We're having more trouble because schools have so many responsibilities and other issues that they're dealing with. So there's a good chance that they could participate in the survey. Okay. Now, I want to make sure I got this number correct. You give it to me one more time, please. 970-491-3895. Okay. So I've got 970 area code. Four nine one, three eight nine five. That's it. Okay, so they can either get on the phone. They could also get to you by going to tec.colostate.edu, right? Yep, that's exactly right. Both that phone number and that uh, website, that URL, will get them to the same people. Yep. Perfect. It'll get them to one of the people at Triethnic Center that will be watching. Beautiful, beautiful. Our time has just about slipped away from us since we've just got a few moments. I don't know if there's any final message, Linda or Megan, that you'd like to leave with the audience. I am just grateful for this opportunity. We came to the National Indian Health Board Conference to try to disseminate our work and just to let people know that we're here. And we're trying to do something positive for the schools and for the youth. And I so appreciate this opportunity to be able to talk about this and to be at this conference. Wonderful. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Well, we do have to run. And thank you to each one who's tuned into today's episode of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. As always, I'm Dr. David DeRose wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.